Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Chris Lance. Chris is a senior director at UNA, a group purchasing organization that provides the home to the sourcing hero. Chris joins me every month to tackle a current news story or topic of interest from his own point of view. So hi, Chris. Thanks so much for being back on the Sourcing Hero podcast. Happy to be here. How are you, Kelly? I am doing just fine, and I'm actually really excited about discussing this topic today because it's a little bit more traditional supply chain than you Mm -hmm. and I get into, but I promise it's no less dramatic, right? For sure. Definitely not. Yep. (laughs) So we have sort of three different things we're going to look at, and they all tie back to what's going on at the Panama Canal. Now, this is one of those areas that people may not necessarily think about a lot in terms of modern supply chain or shipping and logistics, but it plays an absolutely critical role for a lot of U.S. and also global supply chains. So the first thing that we're going to take a look at is actually some problems having to do with the weather. The area is currently dealing with a drought, and it's so bad that authorities have had to reduce the traffic passing through the canal. So there are currently, depending on the day, somewhere between about 150 and 200 ships stuck waiting to get through. So just to put this into context, the canal uses three times the water every day that New York City uses, and it's entirely dependent on rainwater for replenishing its stores. These restrictions are expected to be in place through the end of the year, which means they may affect the holiday shipping and shopping seasons. Mm. Now, unlike when we were all in elementary school and cuts was the worst thing ever, if you have a heavy enough wallet, you can officially get cuts in the Panama Canal One company recently paid $2.4 million to jump to the front of the line. So Chris, let me bring you in on this. And first of all, if you want to share your opinion on cuts, I think this is a very important issue for us to tackle as as supply chain professionals. But more generally speaking, why should supply chain professionals, but then just people who are interested in following the news, be concerned with these blockages affecting the Panama Canal. Yeah, so <clears throat> while while simple in concept, because I mean, like it's just a shortcut. That's, that's my, my understanding. It's <laughs> the the Panama Canal is still in its own right ex- extremely innovative. Like I, I think I remember way back learning on like how they control the water to move the ships through the narrow passages. It's it's pretty cool, but I I'm not certain, but I'm pretty sure the only alternative though is through the Panama Canal is going around all the way around South all America, the way which, around. which there've there been movies about that because like, uh, let alone the time added to routes. I think just that journey itself is extremely perilous. So but when you start looking at, again, like I had said, you add time to the routes, everything that's, that would be coming through there. 
I think that equates to, I think the figure I saw was somewhere between like seven and 10% of all global maritime commerce. Wow. So back to your question, I'll ask you a question or the audience a question, which is, does anyone remember what it was like when we had all those ships sitting out in the Pacific Ocean? Oh, gosh. (laughs) So like, it's almost as if are are we potentially forgetting what that, how that really impacted just availability, delivery of raw materials and items and that ripple effect, or even more so, how did it contribute to price increases? So while it's, the reasonings are not the same, right? That, that we're seeing like a conge- the congestion down there. It's it's a different view, but it's almost the exact same monster. Um, so I would think, you know, even if, even if you're not in the supply chain industry or profession, something like this should resonate with just about everybody. Whether even if you're not in tune with you know basic economics or the overall economy, if you've been in tune with what's been going on the last three years or taking a trip to the grocery store, you'll, you'll understand how important and how tight some of the supply and demand really is right now. It's still very fragile. So. No, it absolutely is. And some of that product on those ships is perishable. And even though they prepared it for a journey, there was an expected journey with only so much variance. And Mm. so I would love to know, not that anybody would probably share with me, but I would love to talk to the company that paid the 2.4 to jump the line. What was the math? Because I bet you that to them was actually like, no brainer. We right. know what the loss is going to be if we don't pay this money. Absolutely fascinating when, if you think of that as a little piece of information mm-hmm. that just gives us a sense of the the investment required and the scale of the business impact if these ships don't get through. Absolutely. And then also like you and I have talked about in the past of like the ripple effect of those price increases, why they need to go up. And as you know, you had mentioned perishables, so like food. Uh, I mean, I would, again, expect to see continued cost increases. Like I would probably probably pay good money to find out who that ship was to to do get some cutsies there. Yeah. (laughs) But (laughs) now it's funny. We think about the canal when we think about Panama, but that's Mm -hmm. not actually the extent of this country's strategic partner capabilities from the U.S.'s perspective. Now, right now, they're actually looking at taking over some of the final stages of semiconductor chip production that's happening elsewhere overseas. So based on their social stability and the fact that they're an established economic partner to the United States, as well as many of the other countries in our supply chain, and of course, their logistics capabilities, Mm. we may also be cutting them short to just think of them as a canal. Do you think that there's more business partnership opportunities beyond simply passing through if we could, in fact, address some of the concerns around semiconductor production and shortages by placing those production facilities in Panama as well as just moving goods through the canal? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I suppose I could see that. There's, there's not truly... There's not that much that really surprises me anymore, Kelly, but <laughs> I think it's possible. But uh, where what where you hear me getting jammed up here is I wonder, are we too late to the party, right? Because uh, a lot of people don't realize, like if you start really zooming in on what's going on down there, there's already a good deal of control. There's uh, maybe control is the wrong word, level of influence, I'll call it, right? But there's some pretty deep 
foreign relationships down there as well. Like, so for example, China is, is down that region a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, is it possible? Yeah, I definitely think so. I do know that yeah, I'm, I'm big on commodities and metals and things like that. I know that Panama is a pretty heavy exporter. I want to say really heavy, but of, of copper. So that when you mentioned the, um, the semiconductors, that's where I was like, huh? Okay. So I could see a connection there. So yeah, you know, I'll say it'd be definitely be interesting to watch going forward, um, especially now at a time when many, many other countries are pulling back on their exports or trade. It'd probably be something to monitor. They are in closer proximity to us. But again, in, in general, it's just a pretty interesting region to watch. I mean, there's already, again, like I had said, there's already a lot of nations down there or watching the area, but I'll go far as far to say as like very close, like there's warships potentially yeah. patrolling the area. And, you know, when you start combining, you know, who's who in the BRICS nations and it's very interesting, I could see a partnership, but I, th- I think there's a lot of dust still being kicked up to see how everything's going to settle. And there's a lot of dust still around semiconductors. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly everybody celebrated at the signing of the CHIPS Act. Right. And I don't mean to be a party pooper, like I really don't. Yeah. But guess what? It hasn't gone as smoothly. Mm-hmm. All of these companies working with the federal government as everybody thought. Mm-hmm. There's fights around not only there being enough labor, but if there isn't enough union labor, are companies like TSMC allowed to bring in workers from overseas simply to put the buildings up? Mm. There are a lot of disagreements that are at far more foundational levels than just even can we secure the raw materials? What are we going to do about the environmental impact of these processes? Mm. We can't get the buildings built that we need to have the fights inside of. And so maybe looking at different locations, whether Panama's it or not, Maybe looking at some of these other locations gives us an opportunity to find either faster or more creative solutions to some of the challenges we face because the uncertainty around China and Taiwan. Yeah, very well said. Absolutely. Now, you teased warships, Mm -hmm. and this is a very real concern. So earlier in the year, Iran's military declared that they were going to put warships in the Panama Canal for the first time ever. And then they went and did it. They had this 360 mission, they called, to circumnavigate the globe and return home. And it was incredibly celebrated in Iran that they managed to achieve this. Mm -hmm. Now, the commander of the U.S. Southern Command, which is known as SOUTHCOM, I guess in GovSpeak, has signaled their concern that companies tied to China also control sections of the Panama Canal. So we've got worry about China. We've got Iran's warships in the Panama Canal. And based on the timing of you and I recording this conversation, we also just know that an enormous amount of funds were just unlocked to Iran as part of a prisoner swap. And so you start to think about, hmm, maybe where some of that money going, probably not going to make the situation any lower stakes, is it? No, I, I definitely <laughs> don't think so. No. Um, yeah. But, so did you, did you have a question there for me or? 
Well, I guess I'm surprised. You know, it was interesting, even in prepping for this. Yeah. You know, you it was it made a lot of news when Iran promised to go through the canal. Right, right. Made a whole lot less news outside of Iran that they had done it. And yet, to me, having done it seems more important and with more significant implications than making the threat. Are you surprised at all that we aren't hearing more above the fold news? about what's going on and all the tensions in this area, given what we've already established about how important the canal is to U.S. trade and the economy. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, well, on- honestly, Kelly, there's a lot I think we should be hearing about that we're not. <laughs> so, but um, kind of like I hinted at earlier, we hinted at earlier in the show. So yeah, there is there is a heavy presence down there, uh, m- many countries actually, China being one of the larger ones. Now, do they outright own the Panama Canal? No. Um, I actually think, fun fact, I think the U.S. actually sold it to Panama for a dollar. Yeah. Look, <laughs> but uh, anyways, but- Good deal. But, right? <laughs> but what but what China does do is they manage both of the ports on either end of the canal, which I would argue that's the choke point, right? Mm-hmm. So that's pretty darn vital to making sure everything can flow through. So simply put to your question, yeah, it's staggering that this isn't in more headlines. I mean, it is, outside of the US but it's, it's it's pretty interesting what's making making headlines over over this you know uh state side yeah. um the well, thing to that, your point yeah go ahead about the 2.4 million for cutsies well yeah it, it's Whose there's so did the many money end up in exactly there, there's a lot of just smoke and mirrors or watch this hand over here um I, I what i think is the most interesting too is at the same point of us again being forced to kind of utilize the canal, right, in, in, in some regard. It's just interesting to me that we continue, we as in the United States, um, de- uh, was it? I forget which department it was, right? But there's many that are coming out and saying that it's a matter of time before we're starting to go blow for blow with China. Yes. And so it's just, we're, we're getting to the point where we need to acknowledge that China is involved in just about every potential choke point we have when it comes to supply chain. Like, it, it's not a secret anymore. The, the U.S. does very little to produce now. We consume. So I guess it's concerning to me. Like if we keep hearing the war drums beating with this adversary, which which I believe we will, it's, Kelly, it's in every single strategic military book, cut off supply. And so when I look at the Panama Canal, when we look at how much commerce that's going through there, we look at the U.S. not making an overwhelming amount of friends right now um, through it, through our economics and some of those policies. Yeah, I think I don't. I'm starting to wonder: Are they threats, or, or are things being moved in position for you know larger conversations that are are being held with the BRICS nations and things yeah. like that? I'm starting to, I guess, just continue to be curious on: Are some of these things <laughs> shots across the bow, or are they shots? And we may, may need to start looking at what we've been saying. I think you and I have been saying bring more manufacturing and things like that back to the states, um, so we're not so dependent and reliant on others. So I think I, I think I kind of went on a ra- rabbit hole on you there, Kelly. <laughs> but I think it makes sense because it kind of ties everything together. You know, right. we've looked at the importance, and if something as run of the mill as a drought, Mm. can create the problem that we're seeing, then certainly having Iran float by, right? Mm. And having China serve as a choke point, it's not making anything easier to move through the Panama Canal. At the very least, we can say that. Mm -hmm. And the only other thing that I want to 
add to this, I guess actually on a, a lighter note before we come back to our point about heroism, mm-hmm. when we were talking about uh, starting to address some of these issues with the Panama Canal, uh, anybody that's listened to any of my conversations where I've mentioned being an enormous old movie buff, if you've never seen Arsenic and Old Lace, it's a great movie with Cary Grant in it. And he's got this uncle who is convinced that he's Teddy Roosevelt. And Cary Grant's two adorable little maiden aunties, if they find men that are traveling alone, they will let out rooms to them, but they actually poison them with wine. And then they tell Teddy that there's another yellow fever victim and they have him bury the older gentleman in the basement (laughs) of their home. So when I think about Panama Canal, to me, I sort of like mentally can't get past that movie, but it also dates this canal and the importance of it. You know, we're going all the way back to TR and people did die in the effort to build it. It was an enormous engineering feat back in the time, Mm -hmm. but it was in place before World War II. So this is something that's been around for a long time. And as innovative as it is, we don't have much of an alternative yet. And so one of the other things that we may need to understand is what are the other transportation options, you know, besides going all the way around the southern tip mm-hmm. of South America, instead of dealing with the Panama Canal, you know, do you at that point switch from ocean freight and go to rail or truck? I'm sure that if people are doing the math to figure out, you know, 2.4 million to cut the line, sure. there's a lot of other analytics mm-hmm. going on too to figure out what the plan B might be. Um, now, we always wrap these conversations thinking about some type of, of heroism in context. And we've talked about a lot of things that should be in the headlines, but aren't. And I actually want to bring this to a human level. You know, during the pandemic, I would say next to healthcare workers, supply chain professionals were considered among the most heroic professionals anywhere. And it was a reputation that was Mm well-earned. You know, when things got scary, stuff kept rolling. Food got to shelves, COVID vaccines got to injection facilities, medicines kept moving, even despite some of the issues we've talked about backs up at at Long Beach, those ports. Mm -hmm. They were considered heroes. And then everybody kind of went back to their lives. So the disruptions have all continued. There's never really been a break, if we're honest. It's just that it's not making news anymore. Do you have any advice for tired and potentially stressed out procurement and supply chain professionals who are fatigued by years of challenges and yet still looking forward to, oh no, there's a drought. Oh no, Iran and China. Oh no, global food supply. Right? It, it never seems to ease off and slow down. Any advice for professionals that have stayed focused on those tasks and who are trying to really gird themselves for the challenges yet to come? Yeah. yeah so for, first of all, yeah, I, I definitely share the sentiment. It's it's always interesting to me how quickly, you know, things return. You know, it's like you watch just an, a devastating news article for five minutes somewhere between sports and the weather. And meanwhile, you go back to eating dinner and there's like real things are still continuing on. And yeah. that's kind of what I what I see or I mean in hearing right from some of these procurement professionals, because you you nailed it, Kelly. It's it's 
<laughs> nothing has really gone back to normal. It's just you're not seeing it on the TV. That's right. Um, you know, um, you know, for me personally, I, I actually have, have never gone back to my life, at least not the way that it was before. You know, I mean, there are still things. Think about how many topics we've touched on, but there's so many things that a lot of people have just moved on from that I'm, you know, I think we're still just scratching the tip of the iceberg That's as far funny. as what is there a reckoning here? Is <laughs> like there's there's just a lot. Um, but again, going back to if you look at the topics that Kelly, just you and I just this past year alone that we've touched on, there's just so much that's changed. I mean, for example, like <laughs> tongue in cheek, I'm, I'm sure everyone's appreciating the Inflation Reduction Act benefits right about now, which, <laughs> you know, by the way, for anyone listening, we did cover that. Um, and it's working as intended. If you go back and read that executive yeah. order, it's, it's scary stuff. But back to your question, what's my advice? Uh, well, so my advice is formed from my own opinion, which um, I don't think very many share. I don't, I don't think, but my advice, it's tough advice, but, but buckle up that that's my advice. I think I don't, we're not out of the woods yet. Um, again, in, in my opinion, I think we've really only scratched the surface. I think things are going to get pretty dire starting in Q4 into 2024. And I, and I do mean dire in a supply chain and financial capacity, but that's not what I want everyone to hear. Um, what I want everyone to hear is whatever is going on, wherever you are, don't panic, don't be fearful, but most importantly, never give up. Um, I would say, I guess going further on my advice, I would say take the time within your industry to look at the major dilemmas that you're seeing, but don't stop there. Um, I think that's what gets a lot of people caught up is, in my opinion, people need to stop taking things at face value. It's mm. it's slow down, take a step back, recognize the impact, see how all of the different dilemmas connect, and then take action. Because at the end of the day, focus on what you can control and then be honest with yourself on what you can control. That That's my advice. This is the second time today somebody has said to me, either focus on what you can control or control what you can control. So there may be a trend rising here. Yeah. Um, I will also say to, to cap, you know, we talked about movies earlier, mm -hmm. to cap this with uh, an idea from a newer movie, I more and more times go back to this one small scene from Frozen 2, which probably tells you everything you need to know about my kids. <laughs> but Anna's trapped in the cave and she says, I'm just going to do the next right thing. Do mm -hmm. one thing at a time. In every moment, you can only do one thing. Figure mm -hmm. out that next right thing and then the next right thing after that and the next right thing after that because time proceeds regardless of what we choose to do. Bingo. Um, and we have a ton of love for especially worn out procurement and supply chain oh professionals here. So if yep. you need ears, also get in touch with me and Chris. We're more than glad to to talk about it and and commiserate and hopefully inspire and all walk away feeling a little bit more empowered. Yeah, um, Chris, if people do want to connect with you, what is the best way for them to reach out? Uh, so I am on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. It's Chris with a K. There's not a lot of us, and then uh, or you can go to una.com, and then the top you should see an about us section, and there should be a picture link that can get you to me. 
Uh, but if you do have, whether it's specific to this pod or, or, or another one, um, a specific question or want to have a conversation, you can reach me at chris, K-R-I-S, at una.com too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero Podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.